Welcome to the Philippine History Podcast. My name is Grant Haas. So, I have a question for everyone out there. Who do you think was the worst colonizers of the Philippines? Who do you think brought the most destruction to the Filipino people? Was it Spain, the United States, Japan? Well, this seems like it's a debatable subject that doesn't have a clear-cut answer for many. Each colonizer seemed to have its own agenda that often manifested itself in racism, discrimination, even murder. So in connection with the last podcast I did, I want to continue to discuss the events that occurred during the Battle of Manila under the Japanese occupation. So Japanese forces deployed a brutal campaign against the citizens of the Philippines over this short three-year period. In the words of U.S. Army Colonel James T. Walsh, everyone who escaped can tell a tale of horror. Few cities suffered as much as Manila during World War II. The Battle of Manila served as a violent end to America's colonial expansion in the Philippines. And when the city of Manila was granted its independence on July 4, 1946, much of the city still lay in ruins from this horrific battle. A memorial has now been erected back in 1995. It's dedicated to not the people who fought in the battle, but the non-combatant victims, the civilians of the battle. The memorial is in the Plazuela de Santa Isabel in the Intermuros. The site serves as a grave for over 100,000 civilians who perished in the battle. So who were these civilians and what are their stories? Well, here's the story about the mass murder at St. Paul College in Manila. It was the morning of February 9th, 1945 in Malate, Philippines. The Japanese began to round up men, women, and children, sending them to St. Paul's College and telling them it was for their safety, as they had planned to demolish some nearby buildings. The family of 59-year-old Calientano Barahona was among those sent to the college. Kayatano tried to persuade the Japanese to allow his family instead just to travel south to Pasai, but troops yelled, No! You must obey! Kayantano, along with his wife Maria, their maid, and their daughters, Luisa and Angeles, were marched with their neighbors down the street to the college. Before being forced to enter the college, residents were searched and their valuables were confiscated. The nationalities of the townspeople was a mixture of Filipinos, Chinese, Spaniards, Russians, and Indians. Marines then crammed the locals into this poorly ventilated room and refused to open any of the windows. People began to scream and shout, demanding ventilation, and some women even began to pass out on the floor. 
Cayentano then ordered his family to stay close to the windows and stay low to the ground. This is just one of the demonstrations of the lack of trust this community had with their Japanese occupiers. Finally, around 5.30, a Japanese officers and four troops entered the room. They brought candy and drinks to the now hungry residents. The troops threw the candies and drinks into the middle of the room and ordered the residents to get the candies. As the Marines exited the room, many of the starving citizens dove for the food, while others, suspicious that it was poisoned, stayed away. Overhead, several chandeliers hung, covered in blackout paper with wires attached to them. Suddenly, Barahona's maid pointed out, The lights are moving! As Louisa looked up, the chandelier over the middle of the floor dropped over those who dove for food and exploded. Simultaneously, other fixtures fell as well throughout the room, detonating instantly. Witnesses noted that after a flash of light and deafening explosions, the roof flew off the building and landed three blocks away. On the ground lay dozens of shredded bodies where the candy had been. The blood of victims now covered many of the survivors. Cayentano came to his sentence and realized the explosion had shredded his clothing. Run! People began to shout in Tagalog. Takbo! 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 Machine gun fire erupted as people fled the building. Troops tossed more grenades through the windows. Cayentano and his daughter witnessed a soldier yank a baby boy from his mother, throw it like a football to another Marine, who bayoneted the child in the stomach. He recalled that the child did not immediately die. I could see it, he recalled, as the baby dangled, moving its hands. As the mother screamed in horror, the guard mercifully shot her. The Japanese soldiers laughed, giggled, and acted in a playful manner. It was like it was a joke, a game to them. It was like these people weren't even human. And when it was all over, the troops rifled through the bodies, looking for any valuables they may initially have overlooked. The Japanese then sat and doused the bodies with gasoline and set them on fire. This was the mass murder at St. Paul College, told by the survivors who lived through it. This is only one example of the fear and terror so many experience during the Battle of Manila. Hopefully, this has given you a better understanding of what the memorial at the Intermuros stands for. It is vitally important that these stories continue to be told so the memories never fade away. Next time you visit the Intermuros, I encourage you to check out the memorial and reflect on those who have lost their lives in this battle. You can visit other sites as well that have been preserved from this battle, such as 
Fort Santiago, the National Museum of Fine Arts, and the Manila Hotel. So have you been to any of these sites? If so, what was your experience? Leave a comment below. Or if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, visit www.filipinohistory.ph and let me know. This has been another episode of Filipino History, and I'm your host, Grant Haas. See you next time.